0: Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tannerito's.
3: The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey there, you found us. It's the most interesting podcast in the business. It's The Book of Joe with me, Tom Verducci, and of course, Joe Madden. And this is a special edition 2023 MLB preview issue. Yeah, opening day right around the corner and and Joe, we're going to go through what I've picked out as the five biggest storylines heading into this season. But before we get there, I have to ask you how you are doing, because I think about opening day and I think of, wait a second, Joe Madden is not in a uniform somewhere on opening day. So tell me what that feeling is like. Yeah,
4: that's exactly right. I thought I, I have thought about that. <clears throat> excuse me, last couple of days, um, but it hasn't been burning through me by any means. Uh, I don't know what that means. I've been really busy between book signings and our podcast and a little bit of golf. And my kids were over here last night, private events, things like that. So I've been keeping uh, busy, eye on the ball. I mean, like this stuff, like we're doing today, and the podcast in general has permitted me to stay on top of my baseball. Intellect, whatever. But for the most part, wow, I, I'm not as uh, buckled as I, you know, you think I would be. I will uh, watch a couple games. I believe I want to start doing that a little bit in the event that something were to transpire during the year. I got to stay concurrent. But overall, man, I'm doing okay.
3: Yeah, by the way, opening day, all 30 teams are playing. I think that's a great idea. It's sort of a unofficial national holiday in my book to see the teams out there. The foul lines, the anthems, it's, I, I can't wait for it. And I'm I'm just stoked about this baseball season, Joe, and we'll get into the new rules and some of the reasons why it's, I think, going to be a very exciting season, but okay. let's start With what I picked out, we'll go in reverse order here, by the way. Biggest storylines of the season. Um, Number five is young players making an impact. Now, I go back to 2015 when you had Chris Bryant absolutely killing the Cactus League. Back then, of course, he couldn't make the Cubs opening day roster. There were some issues there with service time, which went pretty much unsaid from the Cubs end. But now I see last year you had a guy like Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners make their opening day roster at 21, kind of scuffled for three weeks, no home runs, hitting under 200, and wow, he came on and had a huge season, won the American League Rookie of the Year. This year, I'm going to throw some names at you. Anthony Volpe is the shortstop opening day for the New York Yankees. Yeah, he's 21 years old. He's from New Jersey. A lot of Derek Jeter comparisons you will hear. Uh, This kid won the job in spring training. Jordan Walker, outfielder, St. Louis Cardinals, 6'6", 250, originally a third baseman. Of course, that belongs to Nolan Arenado in St. Louis, so Walker will be in the outfield. He absolutely tore it up in spring training. And Oscar Colas of the Chicago White Sox is their new right fielder. We've heard a lot about him over the last couple of years. So, Joe, I want to get your take on when you have a young player— especially someone now these days we see these guys coming a mile away nobody shows up in spring training the elite guys anyway unannounced so there's expectations right away on every player but especially that high profile prospect give me a sense of how you handle these type of young players and trying to get their feet on the ground
4: well first of all i, I know what the rule was you're talking about with kb and the fact that i have to wait a couple of weeks before you climb up but Overall, that's not a bad thing to do, because sometimes uh, if you let these guys go out and start the season in triple I know this is counterintuitive, and I'm not talking about the rule at all right now, but if you let them go out and get their feet on the ground, get their swing going, get in kind of a nice rhythm, and then bring them up, that's not a bad thing. Uh, Longoria did the same thing with the Rays, and then hit the ground running. I think KB did pretty well once he came up. So I know the rule was there and I know there was a lot of complaining about that. However, making the team out of spring training is different. There's a different uh, mental component to it. You come and and again, we can talk about spring training numbers all day long. I'm not a big fan. It just does not normally play out unless the guy's got a great, track record, whatever, but spring training can be deceptive. Uh, But on that, on that uh, note, I do like, I do like a guy starting out before he comes up. And then beyond that, how do you uh, get to these guys? And, And again, you have to have them understand, and because there's going to be a lot of hype. I looked at the New York Post today, Volpe's right up front, and they're talking about him, and I thought to myself, wow, uh, somebody within that clubhouse, I, I'm certain, because New York's used to it, had to have gotten to him and say, listen, uh, you're there, everybody's talking about it, but please just be yourself, go play your game. And it sounds like the, that he may do that, but that would be the biggest thing, is to, I get guys, I, I always got the young guys, and I bring them in, and I would say, do you know what I want you to do differently now that you're on the big league team or you made the team out of spring training? They look at you and say, what? And I said, nothing. I really want you to do nothing differently. I want you to go out there like you had been in the minor leagues, how you've been in spring training, and go out there and try to be the same cat. So th- those are the kind of things that um, early in the season, a lot of deception going on, people fall in love. Uh, but guys like Volpe Walker and I guess Kolos, as you said, they sound legit, but I don't mind a youngster starting in AAA before he comes up.
3: Yeah, of course, they put some rules in place in the last CBA to sort of encourage teams to carry these better prospects from opening day. You can get a draft pick if someone winds up with support for Rookie of the Year awards. So I think it is working. I think teams are more likely to carry their players on the opening day roster now than they did, say, back in 2015. Chris Bryant, by the way, in 2015 took him 21 games to get his first home run, but he did get his hits. He, he wasn't really scuffling. The, yeah. the power came, and of course, mm-hmm. you know what it's like early in the season anyway in Chicago. Yeah. Um, but that certainly turned out to be his success story. Chris was Rookie of the Year and then the MVP the next year, and um, all good things happened for him. Volpe, it, it sounds like, and I've met him before, great kid. Parents are great. Makeup off the charts. I mean, it, this guy basically played minor league ball in his – His uh, home county of New Jersey, living at home. He had some buddies on the team staying with him at the time. And it's a great story because he gets drafted in 19. Of course, 20, the season gets wiped out because of COVID. And really, I Joe, I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I thought it would really regress a lot of young prospects to have a year without competitive baseball. As it turned out, some of them really used it to their advantage, almost like a year of instructional league. And Volpe is one of these guys. He, he hooked up with his personal hitting coach. He made some swing changes. He gained 10 pounds. Um, so I think playing, not playing, but going through that first year without playing, but training – to be a professional in this case, give the kid credit. He, he put it to use. And I think sometimes even with some of these pitchers to work on some things without the pressure of game environment, I, I have mixed feelings about whether that year hurt or helped people. I guess it all depended on what approach they took.
4: Yeah. And, and you know, the, the talent level to begin with, I mean, this kid obviously was good from the beginning. Uh, you might be, um, referencing some pitchers that are also very good to begin with. I just, Frank Howard said the best teacher of the game of baseball is nine innings. And I still believe that. Um, uh, you know, the, the instructional leagues have really diminished in the, in, over the last several years in regards to length and what's being taught there and how we go about it. And everybody is into this training component. But guys like Volpe, they're probably, regardless if they played instructional league or played in 2020 or 2021, wherever a lot, um, still would have been good. You know, these some of these guys are just good. I don't diminish the uh, possibility that having a little bit more time off Possibly getting a little bit stronger, working on something specifically. Uh, listen, you could probably argue it both ways. Um, but again, the really good guys, I don't think it's going to matter. Uh, on the other side of it, guys that maybe are like fence guys, guys that are trying to ascend, uh, having had an opportunity maybe to play more often and being seen, it might have impacted them. Again, I don't know. I don't have a specific answer, but I do know I like guys playing baseball. I do know I like the game being taught specifically, fundamentally daily. Um, And then again, you could argue for Volpe's case because you know him better than I do. The fact that that time down really helped him a
3: lot. All right, let's move on to number four, the fourth biggest storyline coming into this season. And it's, it's more of a question than a statement. Who is going to be the big surprise team come October? And I say that, Joe, because I've gone by this sort of rule of thumb or trend every year when I watch people make their picks, and it's very easy to pick the the 12 best teams on paper going to the postseason or stick with the playoff field from last year. No, folks, it doesn't happen. Let me give you an amazing stat. In 28 years since we went to the wild card playoff system, 27 times there has been at least one team in the postseason that had a losing record the year before. And it's happened 17 straight years. Okay. On average, it's 2.3 per year that had a losing record one year, it made the playoffs the next year. It's just the nature of today's game. So when you make your picks, folks, you better have a surprise team or two Mm -hmm. in your bucket when it comes to these playoff brackets. It just works that way. It's difficult to acknowledge which ones you like and don't like. One of the things I did find, though, two biggest denominators, if you will, in terms of breakout teams, improving on run prevention was more important than run production. And a new manager. Almost 40% of these turnaround teams had a new manager. So, that being said, Joe, I'm going to throw out some possibilities for you. Teams that had losing records last year it just might be in the postseason this year. Okay. You've got the Boston Red Sox, who really shouldn't have been as down as they were last year, but were. Mm -hmm. Minnesota Twins, Texas Rangers, Chicago Cubs. And I'll throw the Arizona Diamondbacks in there. So there's a handful of teams there. I mean, we're not going to see the Marlins or the Nationals or the A's and the Pirates go to the postseason. So I gave you five teams there, and I'll let you go first here, and then I'll give you my choice. Surprise playoff team this year.
4: Um, well, I, I didn't realize that Minnesota would be considered a surprise, but I kind of like their pitching staff. Uh, that's part of the reason why I like them, and I also like Texas because of uh, their acquisitions plus bochi. Um, So if there's going to be uh, a surprise um, between those two teams, I would choose both of them. And um, I think they'll both uh, fare a lot better this year than they had last year. Uh, You know, Texas has made a lot of good stuff. Uh, Simeon had a tough start last year. seger has got to make some adjustments at the plate and not just swing at everything. But again, they've done a nice job with their pitching too. So those are my two teams. I mean, again, I, I, the run prevention part of it, they both are somewhat better, I think, on defense. But I like their pitching. And you know, with DeGrom going there, he's got to stay healthy. I get that. And the Minnesota side of things, I just like that particular group. So if I had to choose, I'd say uh, Minnesota and Texas. That's a
3: great call. I say that because I agree with you on both of those. I think the Twins can win the Central. And I think the Rangers can get a wild card spot. I do. Um, I love the addition of Bruce Bochi. I think Chris Young is doing some amazing things there with the culture and the people he's got in place. You mentioned DeGrom, um, difference maker. I, I know 26 starts the last two years It is all about health, but I literally have not seen a pitcher throw a baseball at the kind of velocity and command that Jacob DeGrom does as a starting pitcher every time he takes the ball. It's amazing to watch. You know Nathan Avaldi's there, Jake Odorizzi, Andrew Heaney. They've done a lot to improve their run prevention. So Texas Rangers, to me, coming off a really last couple of years, really tough years for them. Um, I I think I've got those two teams as well in the mix. So I like Minnesota as well. The addition of Pablo Lopez, their pitching staff, some Mm -hmm. of the things they do behind the plate. Christian Vasquez now defense first catcher. I know you got to like that Joe having a guy behind the plate. I do. Who uh, is a defense first guy?
4: No, I agree. I, I like all of those things that you just said. I mean, for DeGrom, DeGrom to me has the easiest gas I've ever seen. I, I, and a couple years ago when Zach Wheeler was available, I, I really likened Zach Wheeler to DeGrom. I know they pitch with the Mets simultaneously, but I think Wheeler has that same kind of uh, ability um, to let the real easy delivery and the ball comes out hot. And Andrew Heaney, I had Andrew with the Angels, and um, I'd go up to him and I'd say, Andrew, do you realize, and I'm telling you this, I, I tell him I'm a good scout. You got one of the best left-handed arms in the game. And I'm not even talking about, I don't care what the gun says. It's the way the ball gets on the hitter. And for me, I thought if if he really learned how to pitch with his fastball primarily and not get hurt with the off-speed stuff, uh, he could be really, really good. Meaning that, of course, he's got to throw the other pitches, but more like maybe early in the count, ball strike. And then later in the count, learn how to go strike ball but to not get hurt with off-speed stuff in the zone because the fastball plays up, and also when he gets in on righties. I, there's a lot to like about Andrew, and it just might be the right
3: time for him to develop. That is a great point. I think that's a good sleeper candidate. There's been a lot of teams who looked at Andrew's stuff, whether it's the metrics of the pitches or just the way the ball comes out of his hand. I'm talking about when the Yankees traded for him and some other teams he's pitched for. The Dodgers saw it. There, there's a lot more in Andrew Heaney, and it's been good, but there's a lot more in there, and this could be the year. He's got Mike Maddox as his pitching coach there in, in Texas as well. So maybe that is a good combination. Agree. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back. We're going to go to number three, biggest storylines of the year. And hang on, folks. We're going to Queens. What's up next?
1: With BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P
0: dot slash Book Joe. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
5: Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like... ah
3: Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. This is our 2023 Major League Baseball preview. We're up to storyline number three, and it has to be the New York Mets. Most expensive team in baseball. Budget, not a problem for Steve Cohen and the New York Mets. Coming off a great season last year in which San Diego took them out, really, with their pitching in the postseason after the Mets won 101 games. Will it end differently this time? It's interesting, Joe, because... I tend to like teams that are loaded, kind of like your 2016 Cubs team, that are loaded with players in the prime of their career. Younger players tend to be more predictable. I'm talking about established younger players. Mm-hmm. And get hurt less often. The Mets are on the other end of the age spectrum. They're going older here, especially at the front of the rotation, which is amazing with Verlander and Scherzer. You know, the question is, are the Mets better than the Braves? Um, you know, they're a playoff team. There's no question about it. They're a 95 plus win team. No question about it. But remember there's no Edwin Diaz at the back of the bullpen based on his injury out of the WBC. Uh, so Joe, break down the Mets for me. I mean, are they the team to beat in the national league? The payroll says they are, but what do you think?
4: I like the Phillies actually there. And, um, the Mets are there. They're a little bit, there's stuff going on there. You know, uh, not having Diaz as large, Adovino's going to have to accept a much larger role. The guy's done it in the past. But as you suggested, some of them are getting a little bit long in the tooth. Even their two uh, biggest uh, starters. And listen, I'm a huge Scherzer guy. And no, everybody is. However, you are, uh, it's, it's longer in your career. And to rely on these guys all the way through into a long playoff season. I would almost bet that uh, knowing Billy Eppo, they're, they're probably already plotting how to um, give them rest during the course of the middle of the season or as it gets into August in order to keep them really strong and solvent for the playoff run. Uh, the team on the field, obviously, they have, they have some nice guys out there, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I know there's a lot of money being spent there, and there's a lot of really good uh, major league professionals, but I like the Phillies. I, I like the Philly group. I like what they did at the end of last year. I just saw a projected lineup with Brandon Marsh hitting ninth, which that's pretty solid. If he's hitting ninth, And I like their rotation. They hit Suarez. I mean, they're talking about him like as a uh, mid-range starter. I like this guy a lot. Uh, this guy has got uh, kind of a uh, big balls, and he goes after hitters, and and he knows how to miss bats. Um, right up to the top with Nola, and who's the other starter? The really good st- I'm sorry. Oh, and uh, and Wheeler. So and, and their bullpen's got some thunder too, and they got they got like a, got an edge. They have an edge uh, playing in Philadelphia. You have to bring it every day because if you don't, you're going to hear about it. So for me, out of all that um, National League stuff this year, I think the Phillies are going to get back to the World Series.
3: Wow. It's a big pick right there, knowing Reese Hoskins out for the year, Bryce Harper maybe back in June. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll see. But, yeah, I I like the vibe there in Philly. They do get after it, and I think the playoff experience last year has got them hungry for more. Um, I'm going to talk about a roster move the Mets made that will bring us into our storyline number two. Uh, the Mets said goodbye to Darren Ruff. Mm-hmm. Um, they traded for him last year. He was a right-handed half of a platoon, really didn't hit. They ate uh, $3.5 million on his contract, and they kept Tim LeCastro. Now, To me, you know, Ruff didn't hit. Probably he was in danger anyway. But that speaks to how the game is changing in 2023. Right. You have LeCastro on your bench, who's a premier defender and especially a base runner in a year in which we are changing the rules to encourage more base stealing and more athleticism. That's a back end of the roster move, but that is a move that can win games for the New York Mets. I I looked at that and I said, hmm, that's not going to get a lot of attention, but the Mets and Billy Epler are paying attention to roster construction. So to refresh for people, and this is our storyline number two, three big rule changes this year. Number one, a pitch clock. It's fabulous, folks. I'm sure most of you have seen spring training games. On average, they're taking 26 minutes less than they did last year with slightly more runs. Who doesn't want that? We all do. Stolen bases, the success rate jumped from 71% to 77% doesn't sound like much, but let me tell you, in an analytical world, that is huge. That will encourage teams to run more, Mm -hmm. and that's because of the bigger bases. That was rule number two. And, of course, there's no shift this year, and that is just heaven sent for left-handed hitters. You can now hit a ground ball hard to the right side and actually get a hit. So with those three rules, I think you're going to see faster games, more stolen bases, more offense this year. So you can take your pick out of any of those, Joe. Which one do you think is going to have the biggest impact on the 23 season?
4: Oh, man. Um, well, I, I think the shift. I, mean, I, I love the pace clock, and, but I think the shift is going to permit, or the lack of the shift is going to permit left-handed hitters to really uh, some guys that have been kind of uh, mentally distraught by the whole thing. I mean, what can't be evaluated is how many times hit the ball hard on the pool side, and there's three guys standing there. And and you go back to the dugout and you're out. Um, and now you're going to hit something off the hands. You're going to roll something over off the end of the bat. It's going to get through contact, not nearly as good, but you're going to feel really, really good about yourself, which then leads to more hits because you go up to the plate more confident. And, and that really just, that's just how hitting works. Sometimes uh, you you take the bloop. <laughs> There's a lot of guys that will take the broken back that lands on a left field foul line, the left-hand hitter, as opposed to the one hop bullet to the second baseman. So, I think that's going to have a really big impact. And the stolen bases again. I when well, you're talking about Le, Le Castro versus uh, Ruff, I mean, the teams are going to have to make the determination: Do I want a pinch hitter or a, um, a platoon guy, or do I want somebody to pinch run late in the game that absolutely can steal a base and be uh, put me in scoring position with nobody out to start off the ninth inning, perhaps? So, uh, those are the kind of things I I think are pertinent. Point is, though, with the larger bases, I'm still curious. Um, with front offices, how they pers- uh, the perspective of the front office and what they're uh, pr- going to permit to be done there or not done. I mean, if teams get off or a certain player gets off who they thought was going to steal and all of a sudden is not, and getting thrown out a little bit. They might uh put uh, pull the reins in on him, and and that's all in with the stolen base. I know the bigger bases, everybody's saying that. I know the throwovers, everybody's saying that. But I think the pitch out is going to become more prominent. And I tell you what, if a team knows somebody's going to pitch out. Um, that really—that's one of the greatest deterrents, as I found when I managed. And when I managed in the Texas League, we we're playing a five-game series. And I would tell my pitcher, "Listen, please be patient. I might pitch out even twice in this game because I want to put the seed of doubt in this team's head. So I want to do it early in, in, a, in a series so other teams think about that. And the other thing is the back—the back, uh, side pickoff from the from the catcher to the first baseman. You're going to see something more prominent with that." You could even see, you know, a pitch out, pick it for space. I mean, there's different ways to deter these guys from getting really big leads. Um, so what? You get to the, okay, we're going to get to the point where I've already thrown over two times. And in few shown a propensity to go at that point, why not just drop a pick off in? I mean, a pitch out in. And then finally, this spring training, I don't know this, but I have to believe um, they're working on some quick steps, getting to the ball to the catcher more quickly. So, Bigger bases, and the pitcher was average one five to the plate. Uh, I mean, smaller bases, the guy was one five. Now bigger bases, he's one three. About the same. So if they, if they, if they're smart enough to to really work on it in camp and uh, get it down to the point where it becomes comfortable, I think they could mitigate this. So I'm just, I'm curious.
3: Yeah, I am too, Joe. And I can tell you that, you know, watching spring training games, two things along those lines jumped out at me where you really don't know until you see it in practice. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, major league regular season, because I think with the stolen bases in spring training, I get the sense teams were really testing it, right? Sure. You, you might as well. That was the time you, you run these plays, see if guys can get bags. I mean, the white Sox were stealing bases. They're not a a team that steals bases, but they took advantage of the rules. Let's see. Once the season starts that I'll wait to see. I do think there will be more stolen bases. It may not be earth shaking.
4: Brother, uh, that's can okay, I interrupt you. that's 100 right. That's 100% right.
3: Spring training. Uh, you you try all these different
4: things and I know that was like uh, probably the topic of conversation when they came in the door of the first meeting. Hey, we're going to try to steal more bases. My big thing was going first to third. I wanted guys to get out thrown. you could get thrown out going first to third as often as you want, but I want you to try to go first to third as often as you can. But in, with the stolen base gig, they don't care if you get thrown out in spring training. But I'm telling you, once the season begins and outs are made on the bases, and again, uh, who I'm curious because if I'm running that thing, um, I'm the pitching coach or the manager, I would insist that they're in camp. If you were like I said, one five last year, let's bring it down at least one three five. To me, that does not impact your stuff. Actually, I think sometimes it improves it because I like front foot pitcher up and down, get that foot up and down, just like you hit her, get your front foot down. I don't think there's any loss of velocity. I actually believe that there's a potential impact with greater command. So all these things to me, uh, I want to see it play out how the, how seriously or how the, the pitchers themselves, how, how much that they believe it's important. That's really what it's going to come down to. Uh, but it could be, it's, it could be done. You can make the adjustments to actually whatever that length is in regards to time, three inches on each side. By adjusting your time to the plate, you can get it back to where it had been.
3: Yeah, and obviously that was a point of emphasis throughout spring on the backfields, getting these pitchers to defend the running game better. I think your, your big-bodied max effort relievers are going to have a really tough time with the clock mm-hmm. and the bases. I, I, look, I look at that and say, uh-oh, they're in trouble. Correct. But here's the other thing that jumped out at me. And you made a great point about this, that spring training is so different than having – you know, things of importance on the line in a regular season game. That, that's the test lab. Now we're getting into the real play coming up on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And this is how it affects starting pitching, the pitch clock. And I've talked to a lot of baseball people, and they have two different perspectives on this. One is saying, you know what? There's less recovery between pitches, which is literally true. Guys would get in the gym, or maybe they started to get fatigued. They're 25 pitches into an inning. They can walk off the back of the mound and literally gather themselves physically and get a second win. You cannot do that now. And then I have other people tell me, well, you know what? The pitch clock is forcing these guys to be more efficient. They're going to get quicker outs. They're going to disarm the hitters who are used to cracking nuclear codes every time they wait for a pitch to see what's coming. And so there's two schools of thought here. But we may wind up with starting pitchers actually, if you can believe this, throwing less I'm talking about less innings because throwing 90 pitches under a pitch clock is not the same as throwing 90 pitches. When you can take as much darn time as you want. I'm curious to see how that plays out. Joe, we may be looking at shorter starts from starting pitchers.
4: I agree with that hundred percent. That was my, my big thing from the beginning, the rapidity thing. And I don't know how much that's um, been really uh, scrutinized because again, this is spring training. These guys can throw, they're going to throw up maybe eventually up to 90 pitches by their last start. Um, but prior to that, they're throwing, maybe they go from what, 25, 30, 40, up to 50, 60, up to 70, 80. So that's different. And then then again, let's do it every five or six days, all of uh, uh, April, May, June, July. Then all of a sudden this this starts adding up and it takes its toll. Um, that's is why I think. I like the six-man rotation. I do. Um, And I I believe that sometimes uh, in in today's game, by having six starters, you might find it easier to find six starters that you like as opposed to five, which is counterintuitive also. But the point would be that I think it could reduce the risk of injury. It would reduce the risk of this thing we're talking about right here, kind of burnout from having to throw every, um, what, 15, 20 seconds, and, and now uh, you may need – and they're not going to want it. The pitchers, no, I'm good. I worked out differently. I worked out harder. I got it. You, know, you can hear all that kind of stuff too. But until we actually go through it, you're not going to know. Uh, again, I love the rule. I think it's – that's to me, that's the one rule. That's the only rule. For me, that should have been in place uh, over everything else. Uh, but beyond that, um, I'm curious because I think the rapidity with which you have to throw the ball – is going to have an impact.
3: Yeah, and by the way, you're absolutely 100% right with the six-man rotation. That is going to be, based on what I've heard from around the league, yeah. mm-hmm. standard procedure. At least in the first two months of the right. season, I can tell you that. I, I don't know that there's any team that's locked into a guys pitching on the fifth day. First of all, more starts are made on five days rest now than on four. Right. So we, we've been in a transition mode anyway. But I think this is going to make the six-man rotation status quo in the big leagues.
4: I'm in on that. I think it makes a big difference. And if you're, because the big thing is health. You want to keep guys healthy, right? Uh, and with the Angel situation, with Shohei being used to that, that was already a locked in situation. But I, uh, I would just, uh, from the minor league perspective, you have to start nurturing, you know, not just the sixth or the seventh guy. You have to have up to maybe nine, uh, maybe 10 guys that you could believe could at least get out there and represent you well on any particular day. Because during the course of the season, there's going to be attrition, and you got to go way deeper than just looking at five or six starters at the beginning of the year.
3: One last thought of the pitch clock. I think overall, especially when it comes to position players, Mm -hmm. it will keep players healthier. I mean, already players are talking about being off their feet. That extra half hour to 45 minutes, multiply that over a 162-game season. I mean, Joey Votto talked about – getting games back in your career i mean literally the the attrition factor in baseball even if it's not you know an explosive sport so to speak like football or basketball you know this joe you get these three and a half four hour games night after night there's wear and tear that's when you start having those lower body injuries the quads the hammies um, and, and I think it's just my guess here. Let's see again how it plays out. I think it's going to keep position players healthier.
4: That's part of my, my philosophy on more of a limited pregame, also. Getting uh guys just I don't want my relief pitcher standing in the outfield shagging fly balls, as an example. The guys on the field getting ground balls, the early work, the extra work that a lot of these teams are choreographing right now to me, that's just that's just um, eyewash a lot of times. Yes, we all need work, I understand that, I get it. But you have to be very, very vigilant and understand that each guy's got only so many moments standing on the field working on a particular skill. The point of diminishing returns is going to set in. Uh, it's going to set in. And you have to be wary of that. And so all of this stuff that we're talking about, the two superstars of performance are the breath and rest. Those are the two high-performance superstars. And I think if you pay more attention to that and less to – all these different kind of choreographed moments that everybody finds interesting, you're going to get a better result.
3: We just talked about, I think, the most monumental rule changes in baseball since, I don't know, maybe going back to the DH, right? Baseball will look and be played extremely differently this year, but that's not even my number one storyline going into the season. Cool. What is? We'll tell you after this.
4: Very groovy.
3: All right, what's bigger than Major League Baseball having a clock for the first time? What is bigger than bigger stolen bases? What is bigger than getting rid of the shift, which, by the way, hurt Corey Seager more than any hitter of the big leagues last year? Well, he's bigger than anything in game, and that is Shohei Otani. He is the biggest story of this season. He obviously is a free agent at the end of the season. Artie Moreno, owner of the Angels, told me as long as the Angels are in contention, he is not trading him at the deadline. Now, Artie told me he had five deals on the table last trade deadline, did not trade his superstar. I asked him, What happens if you're not in contention? And he said, I'm not answering that because we built this team to contend. And you're asking me to create a theory based on a business plan that's not one that we're. Adhering to. So he didn't want to go down that road. I get that. And actually, Joe, it's hard for me to believe that in a world with six teams going to the playoffs in each league, the Angels will be so bad with the additions they made that they'll be hopelessly out of the race by the middle of July. So it looks like Otani is an Angel all year. So the question now is, how much can he really keep this up? And – where does he want to go from here? Now, if you watch the WBC and you watch what he did in that tournament, this is a guy, and Joe, I'm not exaggerating here. He may be looking at a half a billion dollars in his next contract. Yeah. 10 oh, yeah. times 50. Absolutely. He raised mm-hmm. his hand and not only said, I want to play in a WBC, but I want to start. And if we're in a situation with a one run game against Team USA for the championship while I've been DHing all night, running the bases and sliding. I want to warm up in the bullpen like I'm back in Little League in between at bats and close the game. And when he did that, it's just amazing. The last pitch that he threw was literally the best breaking ball he threw as a major leaguer to strike out Mike Trout. When you broke it down <laughs> in velocity, spin rate, and the break on the pitch, it was literally the best breaking ball he has ever thrown. And oh, by the way, the pitch before that was his second fastest pitch he's ever thrown over 101. I mean, this guy is just a freak. I don't have to convince Joe Madden of that. You saw it up close. Mm -hmm. But I think, Joe, what we watched in that WBC is a guy who, more than anything, wants to win. That environment brought out the best in Shohei Otani. And I think with just a taste of that, and he he won over there, too, in Japan. It wasn't like it was the first time he won. Mm -hmm. But the U.S. fan got a chance to see Shohei Otani pitching in important games and hitting in important games. And they saw this guy go next level. That's why I say he is the story of this season. No argument. Um, Zero argument. He
4: is. um, Wow. I was watching that whole thing unfold. And, uh, of course, he's not going to be able to do that every day because he was that jacked up. I've never seen him that animated ever. Um, He may have done that, uh, looked that way in Japan at some point. He's always been – you know, he's, he's high energy all the time, but not that animated. He was, he was wanting to get that done. He was playing for his, his country there. And he's playing against his teammate and his friend. And wow, it was, uh, that is, that is as good as show can throw the baseball. No question. Uh, longevity wise, how long could he do this? Like everybody always, uh, any scouts going to start that, um, that question off with, with good health, right? Um, there's, there's no time limit on this fellow. It, and if you had to pick one or the other you, pro- you would probably think if he's going to get hurt it's going to be as a pitcher as opposed to a pitch uh, position player first but I I don't know he is he is like so locked in mentally right now he takes such great care of himself he's already been through some surgeries um he's going to he he just he's very instinctive he knows himself really well uh, longevity wise you know nobody knows but um yeah uh half a billion I think it could exceed that actually I think at the end of the day, uh, there's going to be such a bidding war for this fella, and part of that is the fact that I think he'll go anywhere now and not just stay on the West Coast, so this opens up other venues for him. Um, so I think all of that is is in play, final point, trade him or not. Um, yeah, I think from the Eagles' perspective, I do like a lot of what they have done this year. I like the, I like the uh, couple of the, kind of like the veteran players that they've included, like Drury as an example, and Renfro, or Shella, I like that a lot, because uh, Perry and I had talked about those guys in the past, and I like I like their pitching, because I've always liked the young starters there. But, I mean, if you don't feel as though you legitimately have a chance to go all the way to the World Series, you still have to consider trading them, I believe. I mean, the the take on that is going to be pretty pretty darn large. Um, it's kind of Herschel Walker-esque, I think, at that point when you get to the latter part of the year and the team is in it, you're going to really come home with some really nice players. So it's going to be difficult, I think, to walk away from that and just eventually get nothing for them except for a pick. So um, that's going to be interesting to watch, but yeah, um, Hook, I, I think the big things are the fact that now um, he's been more Americanized. He will go anywhere. This is my opinion. He hasn't told me that. The uh, longevity, like anybody else, it's just uh, sometimes it's just a uh, flip of the coin. But the trade value, wow. And I know it's it's hard to do that regarding your home fan base, whatever. But I think unless unless they really feel by that time that they have a shot to do it all, I'd I'd really feel a strong consideration to
3: trade him. Wow, that's interesting. A couple of things there. Number one, obviously, I've known Shohei since he got to the big leagues. And just standing next to him in the clubhouse during the WBC, Mm -hmm. Joe, and you've seen this too, he has literally grown. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he has his man muscles now. And I think you're actually going to see better from Shohei Otani than what we've already seen, which is amazing. And you know how hard this guy works. This guy is so focused on preparing his body Basically, baseball is his hobby. I play video games. I get that. But he devotes his downtime, if you will, to the game of baseball and preparing himself. I'm just so impressed by how large he is and has maintained flexibility. That's the key. You watch him throw a baseball. I don't feel like it's max effort. I feel like the way his body moves, he's like Michael Phelps, the way he's built with the long levers and total like off the charts flexibility those bode well going forward Mm -hmm. but you made i want to get back to your point this is not a small thing because if you remember when when shohei came over as an international free agent one of the first things he did was rule out the big market teams on the on the east coast i mean the yankees had set aside as much international signing money as they could they wanted otani more than anything in the world why not Uh, and he basically said nope i I don't want new york i don't want boston not going east coast the Yankees turned around and traded for Giancarlo Stanton. Now you're telling me that he's been here, now this will be his sixth year. You think he's more open to markets and teams. That's my opinion. I, I,
4: I really haven't had that conversation. But if you think about it, when he first came over, because I sat across from him at that table at the uh, his agency there, and um, I was there with Dio and, and the club contingency. And, you know, this is, he's a great kid, a c- humble kid. But you can see there was still like a reticence. This is like a big deal, and I got to come here. And, and he probably thought at that point staying closer to home was important, and I get it. That's like by six hours, which to us doesn't seem like a whole lot. But you're going to be flying back and forth. That does turn out to be a lot over the course of time, family members coming by. But now I, uh, the fact that he's kind of like uh, taking over the not just uh, the West Coast or uh, – the United States, he's taken over the world baseball-wise. He's right now the the most grand attraction there is. I think he's, uh, you you saw him, like I said, you saw him when they won the game, you saw his attitude, his his confidence level, um, his animation. All these things now, um, I think, to me, opens everything up. Uh, Opens everything up. Um, I don't think he'll be as intimidated possibly by playing in New York or Boston or whatever. Like maybe he probably had in the beginning because he didn't know. And I know he was rookie of the year and all that stuff, but I was there in 2020 when he had a really hard year, man. It was not easy. Um, Hitting the ball, throwing the ball, it was a very tough year for him. And what you saw in 2021 was not at all like what I saw in 2020. So there may have been some kind of a, like a doubt in his head. Who knows, uh, based on all of that. Um, But now I think any any smidgen of doubt has been uh, eradicated. And so now he's ready to conquer the world. And I think he could do it anywhere.
3: Well, I know watching the WBC, and we knew this already, but it really convinced me that if you are a fan of baseball, we need to see Shohei Ohtani and Mike Trout in the postseason. I thought it brought out the best of them. Trout, as you know, another super even-keeled guy, Mm -hmm. has a great attitude Mm -hmm. about playing the game. He was jacked up. I mean, he, he called it the most fun experience of his life playing those two weeks with Team USA. And as you mentioned, you saw Shohei more animated than he's ever been before. You put things on the line, the great players find another level. And you saw that with Shohei and Mike. And it's it's a shame. There's no other word to say this, Joe, but it's a shame that baseball hasn't been able to see these guys on the biggest stage for everybody to appreciate them. And whether it's with the Angels or somebody else, I, I I hope that that day comes soon.
4: I agree. I mean, uh, the talent is is impressive. You you got to be with these guys every day, and like you alluded to, we're talking like not only great athletes but big great athletes. I mean, Mikey Mikey could definitely be playing for the Eagles. I mean, there's no question in my mind. And and show if he was if he wanted to, he could play either basketball or or football. They're that great of athletes. They could run. They got great bodies. They move the body moves so well. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to see them both there at the end of the season. And like you're suggesting or saying that baseball fans need to see stuff like that. That's, that's also part of, uh, the allure. Uh, we're, we're trying to attract more fans. We're trying to get more people, not only in the stands, but just to watch, you just got to get eyeballs on these guys. And so, yeah, I'd love to see that happen for them. I'm such a big fan of these, these guys and all those fellows in the angel locker room. I mean, there's so many good dudes in that locker room. So, It'd be wonderful to see that, and yes, it'd be wonderful for baseball.
3: Well, Joe, before we get out of here, uh, opening day is Thursday. As I mentioned, it's sort of an unofficial national holiday, at least in my book. And uh, I'm wondering if you have a favorite opening day memory that stands out. Because there's something about opening day that, I mean, yeah, everybody's got hopes and dreams and all those things, but... It seems like things that happen on opening day, whether it's Tuffy Rhodes hitting three home runs <laughs> or Emilio Bonifacio getting inside the ballpark home run. Right. Um, it's indelible if it happens on opening day. So something in your mind that stands out above some others as far as opening day goes?
4: Well, I have to, if you don't mind, um, opening day is, as you know, that's special. My first one I didn't have because in 94, I just got called up um, during the season. But starting in 95, I had one. And what it is to me, um, you actually got nervous. I got nervous going out to the line. Uh, Just just running to the line on opening day, whether it's my first year in 95 up to my last year, uh, to this point in 2019 or 2021, what, two, 21, 22. There's this this buzz, nervousness throughout your body uh, that it is opening day. So that's the first part. The second part is when I run up there, uh, since my dad passed away and my uncle Rick, I always go up there to the line and I put him in a seat. I put him in a seat, uh, look in the stands. There might be an empty seat here or there. And I put my dad there and my uncle Rick there. My uncle Rick, cause I lived with Rick in Long Beach when I first got my job, uh, with the angels in 1994. Um, but that's it. That's, that's my gig on opening day. So, uh, they're all kind of like are the same because there's this nervousness about it. That's hard to, um, describe. Uh, but you go out there and then you're all looking around, you're looking around, here comes the anthem, let's get this going, come on, let's get back inside, the dugout, let's go. But the big thing for me is looking to the stands, picking out two seats next to one another so these guys can sit there and enjoy the game. So um, that's my opening days uh, in the major league level is to fight through the the jitters and then place my pop and my Uncle Rick in his seats where I can see them.
3: That is such a cool story. I'd never heard that before, and I knew you'd come up with something that was just fascinating and that you didn't, did not disappoint. <laughs> uh, for me, I'll go back to my first opening day as a beat writer. I've been covering Major League Baseball for a few years, but I'm on the Yankees in 1985, and I wake up, and it's in Boston. The Yankees are opening in Boston against the Red Sox, and it's snowing. Which was kind of cool. It wasn't the snow that would wipe out the game, but it was like being in a snow globe. It was just a bright sunny day. It happened to have a snowstorm come through. I got out to the ballpark super early. Uh, it's the first time I walked on the warning track in front of the monster in left field, and it was quiet. Almost like a cathedral, being there in church before the, the doors open, and I, I'll never forget looking up at the Green Monster and seeing the face of the Green Monster looks like a titleist. It's got all these dents and dimples in it from balls head I could not never saw that on television, but seeing it up close <laughs> in a quiet moment, that was that just struck me, mm-hmm. um, and I felt so privileged to be there, walking the outfield at Fenway before opening day. By the way, the Yankees then lose the game nine to two. They lose the next day, something like 14-5. to And it was after that second game I got my indoctrinated to being a Yankee beat writer. George Steinbrenner gets the press together after the game, and he says, tomorrow is a critical, crucial game. It was the third game of the season, Joe. Welcome to covering the Yankees. And of course, they lost game three as that's well. Awesome. But, that's awesome. But yeah, that's uh, looking forward to some new memories again so uh, on Thursday opening day for the 2023 Major League season. Beautiful.
4: Well, enjoy yourself, buddy. I'll be
3: watching. Yeah, it, it'll be fun. There's no doubt about it. We went through the five biggest storylines, and it's it's going to be exciting, no question about it. So, beyond that, Joe, you got something to take us home as we get these twenty three season underway. Yeah, you um
4: you kind of made me point at me in this direction. I had something else, but once you talked about Shohei and Mike, you know the fact that the way that Shohei uh, reacted and the fact that he had some success in Japan, but really has not had it as readily here in the United States. And Mike's still searching for that postseason game and, and success, but both were so impacted by the atmosphere around the uh, WBC, and it had a great impact on their psyche. So for me, I love this line. I don't know where I got it from or what's it attributed to, but a mind once stretched has a very difficult time going back to its original form. So they definitely had their minds stretched uh, during the WBC, whether it was competitively against one another Shohei versus Trout. just the fact that Shohei won it the vibe within that ballpark I want more of this it's kind of a drug man that's there's nothing like uh, major league playoff baseball I can't agree more but, you know I'm very fortunate to have uh, done that often and I'm looking forward to doing it again but a mind once stretched has a very difficult time going back to its original form and I think Sho and Michael both experienced that
3: I love that thought very cool happy opening day Joe we'll see you next time
4: you too brother thank you
3: The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through.